0: There needs to be a detailed analysis about what actually happened, accounting for the failure or the negative result. So it can be tricky to find the center between no blame at all, which throws out responsibility too. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. As you explore your own authentic power, you want to be aware of the ways in which you give your power away. Maybe you're shoring up your lack of authority by joining a group dynamic that gives you a sense of power. Of course, being part of groups is not intrinsically bad or anything. But unless you forge yourself in the fires of loneliness, you will never know how you're leaking your power to others in order to remain a part of these groups. See where you're giving away your power, so that you can gain more individually. This episode was originally recorded as part of the Claiming Self Authority course available at clearandopen.com. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. I'd appreciate it a lot. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. Yeah, experiment with not numbing. And experiment is really the right word for this. It's like, don't do it with any kind of intention. Like, okay, it's seven o'clock, and this is when I usually spend time numbing myself from loneliness with sugar or a phone or television or whatever. What happens if I just go for a walk without my phone with no intention of what it's supposed to do? Maybe it'll be miserable. Maybe it'll be wonderful. You just come from a pure curiosity. I wonder what would happen if. Just try it out. Because the magic thing about curiosity is it's an essential quality of the authentic self. The protector is really not good at being curious. So and it's easier than love. You know, you could say there's lots of essential qualities of the, the authentic self. Love is for sure one of them. But for a variety of reasons, it's curiosity is an easier door to go in. So to me, the curiosity is, is always the, a sort of touchstone to find the authentic self. Because, you see, curiosity is the opposite of repression. Repression is a hiding. Repression is, you know, it's a avoidance. And curiosity leads to engagement. Curiosity leads to intimacy. Curiosity leads to love. I would say curiosity is a precursor for love in one way. I mean, you could say also love leads to curiosity, but... I think curiosity is a very sort of accessible part of the ramp that will lead you to yourself. It's like a fire hose for the wounded fires that are burning inside you. Because remember, why do these parts, these long lost parts of us exist? Why do they exist? Because they were not seen and they were not validated by our parents. So the degree to which we were not seen, we had to hide those aspects of ourselves because it was not accepted by the family. Well, if I bring this and it's not seen, it makes me invisible. I need these people to survive. I need their love. So I got to set this part of me that they don't see and validate aside so that I can be accepted. And we do that, and we do that, and we do that, and we do that. If we realize in the end it doesn't work, but of course we had to try. So what's the ant- antidote to that? Curiosity. That's the desire to see, the desire to feel, the desire to know. When you do that with the long lost parts of yourself, you're literally re-parenting yourself. You're reparenting yourself. But why do the protectors not want that to come up? Why do they resist that curiosity so much? Because the last time the long lost aspects of yourself were anywhere near the surface, they got stomped on. You can't feel that. You are not that way. You're like us. Whether through abuse, direct confrontation, or neglect, which is more of a kind of abandonment dynamic. Those are the two basic ways parents can wound children. They either pounced on how you were different and beat it up or just turned a blind, blind eye to it. And that's where your power died. That's where it died because you have to sell out to get along with the family. And that's where collectivism is born. And that's where issues like unwillingness to speak your truth or take a position or amicably disagree with someone at the risk of, you know, it might having some impact on them. It took me 15 years of being in this line of work before I started teaching what I actually thought and didn't edit. It took a while. It's a process, but it's the process of discovering you. What else is worth doing?
1: So I think I learned an attitude of my protector and I... The expression that it came out in was through like a dialectic. So maybe it's the protector analyzing itself, but which is can be useful. Can be useful. Basically, I started from the place that I've been looking at for a while, which is that since the ego uses language to conceptualize things, and language is learned and shared by the society, and it's entirely self-referential, our ego is entirely driven by our relationships and our conditioning, and interpersonally is the critical thing there. And so in the domain of power, that means that the ego's definition of power is always going to be relational to other people. And that is necessarily not what power actually is. It has to be. Right. Wow. So glad we and, got that recorded here, Zach. That's brilliant. Well, the takeaway for me was that, like, that's all I look at is my power. And I think, like, when we define power as a word, that is kind of what it means. Like, when people use the word power, they almost always mean interpersonal or.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in but, relation to something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes. I don't know. And that was the realization that I came mm-hmm. to, was,
0: yeah. Yeah. I get how that, how important that is for you. Let me expand a little bit on the collectivism thing if I can. So Zach said something really important and he said it as usual so succinctly, I don't want you to miss it. What he's saying is that the ego's social and linguistic orientation toward power leads it away from what power actually is. And That is exactly why we have such problems with collectivism in this world, because, and this, by the way, is it's also related to why people subscribe to conspiracy theories, which is very popular these days. And uh, Sarah asked me a few weeks ago to speak about conspiracy theories. If you look at people who subscribe to conspiracy theories, which of course sometimes turn out to be true, but usually not, they tend to be people who are disconnected from their own power they tend to be people who have not accomplished much in their life. And they're looking for a reason to pin that on without taking personal responsibility. And so conspiracy theorists, it's a brilliant defense mechanism for a bunch of people to collectively get together and agree why they're so disempowered in a way that's completely made up. But you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to give your power away collectively. The, you know, still just what, six weeks ago, five weeks ago that the insurrection of the Capitol building happened, a group of people who have felt so disempowered for years that they voted for a con man. You have to be disempowered to fall for a con man to begin with. But then when he loses the election, to be so willing to get behind a mistruth to To try to change reality with the mind that you're willing to commit felonies to do that. That's collectivism in action. So when people don't, when the people feel disempowered at the level of individual, the ego is drawn to use other people to bolster that. That's far more attractive than finding your power at the bottom of the well of your own aloneness, which is where it actually is. And this is how. Hitler and any other dictator come to power this is why that works this is dictators seize the opportunity of disempowered people with the promise of unification but well, what is the prom- promise of unification it's a promise of power you know and hitler did a number of remarkable things like uh, creating the Autobahn highway system. Before that existed, the country was quite disconnected. And the disconnection in German culture goes all the way back to the 18th century, where they were like the least unified country in Europe. And the Third Reich was the third attempt at unifying it, and they were having a lot of trouble doing that. So there was the, the Zeitgeist, which is a German word. Appropriately, the Zeitgeist of of Germany was a disconnected group of people, and, and it said often in 1789 there were about 1,800 different sort of city states within Germany. They all had their own beer, which was really cool, but there was not a cohesive whole. And that's what Bismarck tried to solve, and then Hitler, and and so on. And then there was the wall built. You know, they were having unification problems, so. Anywhere you see collectivism, it's an attempt for a group of egos to try to deal with that sense of disempowerment. And that's what happened with Trump. So, uh, And it happens with sports teams. That's what's going on. When your sports team wins and you go, yay, we won, feels really empowering, right? It's delusional. You had nothing to do with the outcome of that game. But yet there's the feeling of we won and you're happier than we lost, right? What explains that? There's no logical reason you should feel good about that team winning unless you put money on the game, you know? So that's another thing to look for is collectivism at the level of your family, family of origin, certainly, clubs, organizations you're, you belong to, uh, political parties, whatever, whatever sort of group of people that you belong to it's not that there's anything inherently wrong with groups, not at all. The question is just, are you using that to get a sense of power without actually mining for your authentic power? Is it a three-legged race that you've put yourself in? Where, okay, you've got somebody by your side, so it feels empowering, but actually at the end of the day, it's not. Because you're, again, your real power lies waiting for you at the bottom of Loneliness that a part of you doesn't think you can handle. Loneliness is a fire that forges the authentic self. Loneliness is the ego's relationship to it. But at the bottom is aloneness, which is neither good nor bad. It just is. And it always was. And when you're at peace with being alone and you don't need people to agree with you, And you don't need people to disagree with you and you don't need followers and you don't need rebels either. You're just boom, right down the center. Reminds me of my sword teacher would say when you cut, you don't cut strong and you certainly don't cut weak. You cut to kill. That's the power of aloneness. It centers you because you don't even realize how you're leaking your power off to groups and other people until you start to really inventory, how am I contorting myself into, make sure, into making sure I retain this relationship? What truths am I selling out on just so I can feel this safety net of a community? And again, it's rooted in real survival things. There was a time in our species when we really needed other people, lots of other people, to be able to get along with them all in order to survive, I offer that is no longer the case. So I'm not saying alienate everyone in your life and don't give a shit what they think. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, assume you're already swung too far into collectivism and attempt to rein it back where appropriate. See it. See where you're giving away your power. See where. You actually ought to lose some friends so you could gain some better ones. For example, hey Joseph, yeah, question.
1: Looking at that from the business point of view, and you know you're working on a project or you've got revenue goals and you miss them. We missed them, right? But then when you succeed, you give credit to the person that succeeded. So you won that. Who's leaking power in that? We failed. Because it just seems to me that when there's success, it's pinpointed at a person or a specific team. But when there's a failure, everyone takes the failure.
0: I've never heard of that.
1: Hmm. Okay, so <laughs> dig deeper, find <laughs> Why me an answer. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've probably, I was trained that way yet. I mean, but- I, I, <laughs> I,
0: understand, I understand it. It's like, yeah. Uh, it's
1: yeah, bolstering people, I guess, yeah, right? I
0: understand why. You know, it's like when I first trained at Emeth, the we had this thing called the key frustrations process that was all about like looking for the system root problem, not about blaming any person. And it was a cool tool developed in probably the late 70s, early 80s to stop blaming individuals for failures that were systemic. But what I saw was the way people used it was they swung too far and they didn't take they didn't look for individual responsibility so there's a difference between blame and responsibility you know i was just thinking yesterday about the word accounting to account for something and accountability to when you account for something like in finance you know it's like okay we lost 10000 dollars last month how, let's account for that which means like how exactly did that happen where did the money go how did we not hit our budget But when typically when we use accountability socially, it's just like, okay, I'm holding you accountable. You messed up. Oh yeah, sorry, it won't happen again. And then it's done. That's not accountability. What went wrong was not accounted for. You see, you think like accounting. There needs to be a detailed analysis about what actually happened. Accounting for the failure or the negative result. So it can be tricky to find the center between no blame at all, which throws out responsibility too. Or on the other side, collectivizing the the responsibility so that there's no accounting either. Again, the superpower comes to bear, again, it's curiosity. You want to know everything that happened. I mean, if I had a company and there was, you know, some goal was not met, I would say, oh, we're going to talk about, we're going to debrief this goal not being met, come to this meeting prepared to talk about your contribution to that whatever it was every single person some will have more some will have less was there a way you could have helped that you didn't you know but to me responsibility must always be individualized so the collective the way to properly collectivize it you could say is not to but you could also say is for everyone in the collective to take their individual share of responsibility but I don't subscribe to the re- that responsibility can be shared. Because if everyone is responsible for something, then no one is. Someone has to own sales. Someone has to own customer satisfaction. Someone has to own employee satisfaction. Someone has to own profitability. Someone has to own it. And then it's their job to you know have the site to look at everyone else and make sure they're doing their part to whatever their ability. Yeah, real responsibility. Well, I'll sum up, I promise we'll end in the next couple of minutes. Collectivism really messes up responsibility because the lack of willingness to stand in aloneness and claim one's own power collectivizes responsibility. And then there's this, oh, we lost. Let's commiserate together in this, instead of looking deeply and individually at what each individual contribution was. But, oh, but what about the team atmosphere? And what about there's no I in T-E-A-M? Well, there is a me in team, is what I'd say. Maybe there isn't an I, but there's definitely a me. And yeah, it's, it's both. There's individual contributions. And, and we, don't, we have no... Like, what sports hero have you ever seen after the game, right? They interview the Michael Jordan or the Walter Payton or the Tom Brady or the whatever. They interview the star. And then it's their job to thank everyone else and not take any credit, right? That's, that's the, the formula. We're going to interview who we know is the hero of the day and allow them to altruistically and collectivistically give everyone else credit and be humble. When we know that team probably would not have won without that Tom Brady. So like, who are we fooling? Why can't they just say, yeah, I'm the best quarterback in the league and I've got a great team to support me. And here are some of the people that I don't think I could have done it without. What's wrong with that? I'm the best quarterback in the world. If that's true, what the hell is wrong with saying it? What's the problem? Because it makes all the other quarterbacks feel bad or some people might think it's arrogant. You've got a freaking set of metrics that says it. Here are the scores. Here's the chart of the whole NFL season. I'm the best one. You don't need to say it like that. but you don't need to not say it either. Why are we dancing around that? You see, that's another drain of power. If you're really good at what you do or you're the best, stand in it. Stand in it. What's the problem? Who are you trying to not offend? Because if you state what for you is a fact about how good you are at something, and that is a problem for someone you work with or you are friends with, then they are not your friend. And they are not equal to you in one way as a coworker because their ego is so fragile that they need you to be smaller than you are to protect that fragility. Now, why on earth would you caretake that? Only if you're holding a torch for your parents because you're projecting your parents onto them. Oh, I don't want to upset them by being my full and real me. That goes all the way back to your parents. Okay, I've kept you six minutes late. Thank you for hanging out. You can always go, by the way, you can always go. Look for the assignment and we'll go to session seven next time. Thanks for being here, you guys. Aloha. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, Know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com review and it will bring you to the right place.